Andrea Stark, a Medicare consultant and reimbursement specialist for Miura Vista, returns to HME News in 10 to talk about all things Medicare Advantage. We take a deep dive into increasing enrollment, increasing single source contracts, including Humana's with Adapt Health and Rotec, and increasing scrutiny by the government. Stark says the system is not broken, but HME providers, an extremely valuable partner, need to make sure these plans are playing by the rules and paying them enough. I'm Liz Bollier. And I'm Teresa Flaherty. And this is HME News in 10 from HME News. This episode of HME News in 10 is brought to you by the HME News Business Summit, the event for HME business leaders. Join us on October 22nd through the 24th in Charlotte, North Carolina for expert-led education, peer sessions, and networking. Providers that register by September 4th with the code PODCAST at hmesummit.com will receive $100 off. Elevate your insights and secure your spot today. Hi, Andrea. Thanks for joining us today on HME News in 10. Hey, Liz. It's great to be with you again. Always good to have you on the podcast, and today we're going to be talking about Medicare Advantage. So to set the stage a little bit, could you talk mm -hmm. about what the current state of the state of Medicare Advantage is? Well, you know, there's been quite the buzz about Advantage here lately on a, a lot of different fronts. First of all, we set a, a new record this year for um, the tipping point on Medicare enrollment, Medicare beneficiary enrollment being over 50% in advantage compared to those remaining in the fee-for-service program. So this is the first year that we've done that. And, you know, I feel like a little bit of the luster is wearing off, though. In addition to increased volume, you know, there's a lot of opportunity to kind of look and see how we're doing now that it is getting bigger. And there's been a lot more attention from the Office of Inspector General, more attention from the CMS program and their involvement in the oversight of these programs. And then, of course, we had a pretty big news break that I know HME News reported on extensively where the Humana Medicare Advantage adopted a single source contract in each state. With a few exceptions, they have contracted solely with Adapt Health and with Rotec. And that had a tendency to you know, be great for those two companies, but you know, it certainly is a bit disruptive and ruffled some feathers uh, with that announcement. For sure, for sure. And of course, you know, HME is not the only area where, you know, a big payer like Humana has that type of single source contract. But let's drill down a little bit into those recent contracting trends. Well, you know, I think that it was a bit surprising that, you know, Humana would go with an exclusive single supplier for an entire state. And I know that Adapt and Rotec both independently have multiple locations servicing the country, but in the rural areas, there's not as prominent of a presence. And when you have corporate boards to report to and profitability really drives some of the executive decisions, a lot of times what we'll see is closures in the rural markets where those companies can't be as profitable because there aren't as many beneficiaries to service. So, 
you know, there's not to say that, that we have direct evidence of disruption in the, in the rural areas, but that's where I'm certainly focusing my concerns and attention. You know, and I think that there, we have a precedent on fee-for-service when they went to exclusive contracting on the DME side under the DME competitive bidding program. And I thought it was telling that CMS focused all of that effort on 130 of the largest metropolitan areas, areas where suppliers can compete, areas where the beneficiaries are, areas where you're going to have the greatest census to service. And Humana did not exclude rural areas. Humana did not go after just the metropolitan areas, nor did they necessarily carve out products that were excluded where suppliers would be able to continue to compete. There were kind of behind the scenes, a listing of products that are subject to these bids. And Humana didn't cut every single supplier. There were some that they retained because they were affiliated with lucrative hospital associations or other types of contracts and specialty providers. But under competitive bidding, we did have a standard where no single supplier could have more than 20% of a market share. And that ensured that we would have at least five suppliers to service a market. And that's in the big area, much less having an entire state to be responsible for. And there's a concept in the Medicare Advantage Plan program materials and the guidance that CMS sets for these plans. And it refers to network adequacy. And these maps have an obligation to ensure that there's not going to be a disruption to patient service that they're going to have in other markets, although DME isn't as codified as some of these, these other medical specialties like hospitals and doctors, practitioners, but network adequacy really refers to making sure patients are going to be able to access the service and that a plan has enough contracted suppliers to service the beneficiary population. And I think some additional exploration of whether or not this is going to stand or withstand the scrutiny under that purview of network adequacy. So those are some things that, that I'm kind of looking at with regards to you know this recent development. You had mentioned earlier uh, the increased, as we see increased enrollment in Medicare Advantage, we're also seeing increased oversight of these plans. And I feel like we are every other week we're writing about an OIG report about uh, some aspect of, of how these Medicare Advantage plans are operating. Can you walk us through what's the latest happening there? Yeah, so really the OIG has kind of drilled down into the payment and denial rates that stem from prior authorization. Now, Medicare Advantage programs have always had the ability to use prior authorization as a utilization management tool. Now, the purpose of the prior authorization should only have been to reaffirm an underlying medical need for a product, not to impose additional administrative burden or gaps in coverage, um, or really to exclude patients or set new precedent and new coverage guidelines. But what the OIG found when they started digging into some of the Medicare Advantage authorizations is that they had a much higher denial rate 
than they expected. And the denial rate, as the OIG dug down into them, found that many of them denied an error, that coverage guidelines were imposed in excess of Medicare fee-for-service, which they're not allowed to do. They must follow fee-for-service anytime a precedent is already established in LCDs, NCDs, and in program guidance. They found something very similar so that Medicare Advantage prior auth report came out in September of 22. And then in April of this year, I believe it was in April, it might have been just a little bit later than that, we have a recent report that took a look at their Medicaid MCO prior auth activity. And what they found in that report is that it was even more exacerbated. And they also found that states were not requiring these plans to report on denial rates. The states had much more hands-off roles in how these plans are operating. And a lot of times, suppliers didn't have a pathway to circumvent when these denials occurred in error. There were no appeal rights or no clear appeal rights. There were no independent reviews to be able to hold the MCOs accountable. So, you know, this is even more troubling. But I think suppliers are, are not surprised by this. We have felt like these plans have deviated from CMS's intent, and suppliers haven't really felt like they had the representation or the visibility into these issues. So I'm really glad that you know this oversight and intervention is coming to light. CMS has put together, and, and this came out in April of this year, a, a final rule that is going to be revamping Medicare Advantage plans, specifically the prior auth programs, and again, underscoring that they cannot implement repeat authorizations. I know there have been abuses by plans requiring authorization on a chronic need every single three months, and suppliers go through gaps where they can't get medically necessary services paid for because of this administrative burden that is being imposed artificially. It doesn't actually change the fact whether the patient needed the services. It really just ends up in an erroneous denial of payment. So this final rule is going to change several different things. One of the biggest things to coming in January of 2024 is this mandate from CMS in this rule that says Advantage plans cannot impose prior authorization if a patient changes insurance and has active service for a period of 90 days. So for 90 days, if the patient comes on to a new plan, the plan cannot impose prior authorization, nor can they enforce network requirements or exclusive networks for that 90-day period. And that allows the existing supplier to either petition for a single case agreement if they're not in network, to transition the patient and get updated paperwork or initiate the authorization process in a timely fashion, giving them, you know, operating in, in the knowledge that the patient has switched. So I'm really, really excited. That is a huge change to ensure that, you know, we have adequacy of coverage and no gaps in coverage and no false imposition of denial of access to care. So that is going to be a huge change. Littered throughout that, that final rule, Liz, is an admonishment to the Advantage plans for where they have deviated from course, where they have not followed fee-for-service. 
And those rules have been on the books since inception. And CMS vowed to continue enforcing those and encourage the maps to come into compliance with all of the tenets of that final rule as soon as possible, meaning they do not have to wait until January of 2024 to implement these prior authorization changes or to bring their coverage guidelines into compliance with fee-for-service. And we're also going to see a mandate that the plans look at these prior auth programs on an annual basis to confirm they're not deviating, to confirm they're not imposing undue administrative burdens that exceed the scope of what CMS wants. Andrew, you mentioned earlier in our conversation about how these Medicare Advantage plans have kind of lost their luster a little bit. What can we expect next in this area? Well, I think that the Medicare Advantage plans are going to be making some, you know, overdue changes and some modifications. I think they are going to become a lot more friendly to DME suppliers. That's my hope. That's my optimism. Looking at, you know, what these trends have overturned. I don't think the DME supplier community in and of itself opposes prior authorization as a utilization management tool. We want to know when our services are going to be approved and when they are going to be disapproved. But we just want the rules book to be an even playing field. We want the maps to follow fee-for-service like they are directed by CMS to do. If they do that, I think we can play very well together. I think DME is a valuable, extremely valuable partner to these Advantage plans, but we've got to make sure that not only are they playing by the rules, but there's profitability there. And some of these rates, I think, over the long term are going to have to come up. And we're seeing some of the states actually passing legislation, at least with the Medicaid MCOs in Georgia, they just had a very big win in that they expect the Medicaid MCOs to not pay anything less than straight Medicaid rates under those plans. So I think that may be a trend that other states will follow if there's precedent there. Can we get something similar in place for the Advantage plans as well? And we've got to just ensure that the maps are truly held accountable for making meaningful changes where they're due. I don't think everything's broken, but there are some, some large gaps that need to be filled. And I think they can be done fairly swiftly. And I think there's meaningful change ahead for DME suppliers and how claims are processed. Yeah, I mean, with increased enrollment in these Medicare Advantage plans, it must be more and more difficult for an HME company to ignore that business. So I guess if you had to give, you know, these companies one piece of advice related to Medicare Advantage, what would it be, Andrea? Well, developing good contacts within the program inviting these plans to come present at your state associations, have interaction with them, increase the level of communication, and know your rights with regards to the rules that these plans have to operate in. You don't have to take it. Understanding what the Medicare Advantage plan rulebook says and, and then making your appeal arguments where they deviate from fee-for-service precedent that's going to be critical in ensuring that suppliers' rights 
are upheld. And we also do have a new resource available to us. CMS is listening with attentive ears now. And there is an actual email inbox that they actually have shared with the CME industry that will actually help us to route concerns when we cannot effectively arrive at a solution with the map directly. So again, your first source is going to be to look at and working with the map. And if that's not successful, then, then bring your concerns to CMS. And CMS is taking more of an active role. And that email address, Liz, um, if you want to include that, is Medicare Part C D questions at cms.hhs.gov. And so those are that mailbox is monitored by CMS liaison to oversee the advantage plans. So I think having this combination of resources, having the spotlight put on the plans is going to all in all make everybody work better together. Great, Andrea. It's always a gold mine whenever I have a conversation with you. So I appreciate appreciate you coming on to the podcast today to talk about all things Medicare Advantage. Well, thank you for the invite. I look forward to our next opportunity to kind of get together and chat about industry issues. That is certainly our passion, and we are here to help cultivate expertise within the supplier community. Anytime we can do that, it's a win-win for everyone. And that's HME News in 10.